Episode 22 of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Juan Soto, we moved the ball down the field a little bit. We know a little bit more now. Scott Boris has spoken. Juan Soto has spoken since we last recorded. We've got all things Soto here on this episode. Plus, Barry's Falugo of the Washington Post joined the Grant and Danny program to break down how we got here and where do we go as an organization, as a fan base, and what all this means for Juan Soto. That all gets started right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Hello and welcome in episode 22 of Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Danny Ruye along with Darius Dameron. Grant will be back from Los Angeles probably later on this week. He was there at All-Star Festivities. Uh, he had a front row seat to the Juan Soto press conference. He saw Juan Soto win the home run derby. He saw Juan Soto be the center of the baseball universe. Soto should have been part of the menagerie, should have been part of a, a really fun all-star kind of long weekend here where the best in baseball get together. So many great young players uh, honoring some legends like Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols and the like. But the story was Juan Soto. The story is the Nationals. The story is the worst team in baseball and maybe not being able to pay a huge asking price for the young phenom. So since we recorded this, uh, recorded last episode on Monday, a couple things have happened, right? Soto spoke uh, at uh, in advance of the Home Run Derby, the all-star media availability, said some very heartfelt things, uh, talked about how he seemed blindsided by the fact that that offer came out. He was disappointed, said he wasn't sure what to trust, given that the organization, uh, with Mike Rizzo being the one that said this, wasn't going to trade him, and now all of a sudden it sounds like he's open for business. And and some people have said that this is just Boris pulling strings and uh, Boris is the one that leaked it. You know, that's pretty Machiavellian, I would say, if that is indeed the case. I wouldn't put it past Scott Boris, but this really does seem like it came from the organization talking about that offer of 15 years, $440 million coming out. So Scott Boris has since sat down with John Heyman of the New York Post. And John Heyman uh, joined the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan and had some pretty revealing insights, which I'll, I'll relate to you guys here in a few moments. But, Darius, we've moved the ball down the field here a little bit. And I think there are three things we need to tackle here. The next couple of weeks for Soto, the Nationals, and Nationals fans, what that's going to mean. The offseason, if it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, talking about a Soto trade or, or, or a move, new ownership, and then kind of where this organization goes from here. Okay, so let me give you a couple couple nuts and bolts again before uh, we get into those three things here with this episode. John Heyman this morning, and we're recording this Wednesday, uh, what the heck is today? July something or other. I don't know. It's like 20th? 20th. July 20th. I, I nailed that. I know exactly what day it is, obviously. <laughs> anyway. July 20th, John Heyman this morning said he sat down with Scott Boris in a wide-ranging interview, basically pointed to Max Scherzer's annual average value of around $43 million. Now, granted, that's a short-term deal for the Mets, for a Hall of Famer, for a team that's about to or trying to win it all that's really competitive, and it's a shorter-term deal, so you can have a higher asking price. Boris's point was, why are we talking about a 23-year-old future Hall of Famer on a career arc at minimum, that's a Miguel Cabrera, that's a uh, you know that, that's a Pujols style um, uh, a career arc, which is Hall of Famer. At maximum, you're talking Ted Williams. At maximum, you're talking a Mickey Mantle. You're talking about one of the greatest to ever play this game available before he turns 25 years old. Why are we saying that his annual average value 
should be below what Max Scherzer, a, another surefire Hall of Famer and superstar, still able to perform at a really high level. Why should his value be lower than that? Simply because the deal is longer, as money will increase, and you know those values will get superseded and the like. Well, you start doing some back of the napkin math. Just say forty million for fifteen years. Can you guys do that one in your head? Take your time. That's six hundred million dollars. If you do $43 million for 12, 13, 14 years, we're approaching that same amount. That's a staggering number. Now, that's from Boris's perspective. I am not advocating that. Simply, again, passing the word on to you guys. So if that's the case, I wonder if that changes your opinion about the Nationals and how they're behaving. I wonder if they got a sense that that's what it was going to take, and they go, I know our context, I know our history, I know a bunch of our fans, and, and I, don't, I don't blame you guys at all, are going to be furious about this, but we can't go there. We simply can't do 42, 43, 44, 45 million dollars a year for a decade and a half for anybody, no player, and still be able to build a competitive team. We could do that and we could sell our Soto jerseys and recoup some of it and we could lose 100 games a year because you got to get everything right on the cheap. You're on a budget if you're the Nationals organization in this. And some of you guys don't want to hear that. And I'm not upset at you for it. You just go, the learners are billionaires. You put your fingers in your ears and you don't think of anything else. And this is not me being, me being a show for the team either, by the way. I'm telling you right now, they got plenty where they're at fault in this entire process. I think they screwed up the Anthony Rendon thing, and I will, I will go to my grave thinking that. They should have offered him a contract years before they did, but they gambled because he'd been hurt some, waited until the end, and of course he left. Now, here's the thing. Had they signed Anthony Rendon, we'd be going through the same thing with him, where it's another bad contract for them. Okay? The Steven Strasburg thing is blown up in their face. They they basically stopped trying with Trey Turner once Francisco Lindor signed his mega deal. There's plenty to fault the Nationals for on this, guys. But I'm simply saying I understand a team without an unlimited budget, and the Nationals don't have that. If they had their own great TV deal, if they had you know the appropriate amounts of, of revenue streams and cash coming in, this might be more feasible. You'd say, whatever, dude, pay the luxury tax, go win 95 games, and 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 build around Soto. Pretty easy, hard to do. You got to get a lot of pieces right. You got to have cheap guys like like Howie Kendrick fall into your lap and hit two of the most clutch home runs in human history. You got to have a you know a, a, a Patrick Corbin uh, be able to pitch at both as a starter and out of the bullpen. You got to have all sorts of crazy crap go right. If any of those ninth inning rallies, those eighth inning rallies fall short, if Ryan Zimmerman's pop up off Josh Hader gets caught, we don't have this story that we have. We have another bit of playoff disappointment. It's really, really hard to, 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 to walk that line. And the Nationals, when they were competitive, had a top 10 payroll every year. And for teams that can't print their own money, I think that's a reasonable ask. Now, what I would also argue, by the way, as, as we're kind of offering nuts and bolts on this, is they do need to up their spending. I'm not talking about the Major League payroll. I'm talking about player development. This Nationals organization, I think, is woefully being outspent in the arms race that is you know, being able to call guys up, have the major league ready. Their process right now is not great. They're not yielding the results from that farm system that they simply need to to be able to compete at this highest level. But that's some nuts and bolts. I, I know I meandered a lot there, Darius. First things first, the next couple of weeks, what is this going to look like for the Nationals, Nationals fans, Juan Soto? What are you expecting? Well, according to John Heyman this morning, these next couple of weeks are going to look like a trade's not going to happen, which uh, goes against what Buster Olney has been saying the last couple of days where he thinks uh, a lot of the executives and rival executives around the league expect something to happen. So this is going to be an interesting next couple of weeks, especially because we have a lot of other trades that we need to make. We're going to have to trade Josh Bell. We're going to have to trade Nelson Cruz. There may be a reliever or two that we're going to trade, such as Carl Edwards. You're going to mix all that in with 
the potential of trading Juan Soto, it's going to be a very crazy next couple of weeks here leading up to the trade deadline here at the beginning of August. August 2nd is your trade deadline, just under two weeks away from right now this minute. So I thought all along, and I'm, I'm, I, there's a great chance I'm proven wrong here, but this is how I felt about it, just reading the tea leaves. I think this ownership question, working back from an end result that, that I think some people want here, Darius, and that is November owners' meetings they'd like to be able to have as an agenda item, let's ratify the new Nats ownership group. Let's make it official. Let's make it formal. They all have to go through this huge approval process if you're, you know, your, your billions of dollars or of assets are changing hands. But at that point, they'll go, hey, here's your new owners. You guys are in the club. Learners, you're out. Thanks so much. You know, we wash our hands of it. Working back from that, this is only a couple of weeks and days to sort of get some of this major stuff done. And here's what I mean. This is not a, do you trade Josh Bell, a guy in the last year of his deal? This is not a, uh, you know, do you move on from Carl Edwards, a reclamation project that might fetch you something in free agency in terms of a, of a guy in A-ball that, that might one day make the show. This is a franchise directional type potential trade here with Juan Soto. I think any new ownership will want a resolution to that before they take, before they start saying, you know, this is, for example, let's say right now the offer, and I'm, I'm going to use very simplistic language here. Let's say the offer from from you, Darius, prospective owner, is $2 billion. Mm-hmm. If Juan Soto's under contract for $550 million over the course of 15 years, maybe I'm going, well, you giving me this expense, I'm inheriting this thing, I now only offer you $1.8 billion. Or it could, it could go up, I don't know. The other side is, okay, we've got nothing but cheap assets now. We've got uh, two guys with major league control of, of five years plus. We've got four great prospects uh, that have all have a chance to be really good and a chance to reset this organization. So instead of $2 billion, now it's worth $2.1. Again, I don't know. Maybe it goes down, maybe it goes up. But you're still talking about tens, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially hinging on this next couple of weeks of a move. Right, So that's going to change any kind of offer. It's going to change financing. It's going to change the value, again, according to the eye of the beholder. So to me, something needs to happen. A determination needs to be made. And that's not a December or January determination. It's a the next two weeks determination. Now, what That's ab- how I've always felt. So go ahead. Now, what about the other side of it where maybe there's a potential that the incoming owner does want to be able to make that decision themselves? Maybe that incoming owner does want Juan Soto to be the face of their franchise that they're taking over. And that they want to be able to uh, make the decision with the next couple of years while he's still under contract to try to get him to stay. Don't you think that's also on the table? Yes, I do. And again, that's and that's what I'm saying. Whatever the resolution is, a new owner, like if I'm going to buy this organization, I'd love that. If I won Mega Millions today or tonight, last night, I still wouldn't have enough, but I could get a group together. If I was going to walk to the learners and say, I want to buy this organization— I need to know everything about Juan Soto. Absolutely. I need to know, do I have a chance at signing him, or is is that ship sailed, right? If I have to go to $600 million to sign the guy, because, again, think of the talking to Boris, spoke to Heyman, who spoke to us. I mean, us meaning meaning the people. (laughs) If it's $43 bucks a year for 13, 14, 15 years, again, you're you're now going to be over $600 million. I need to know that. I need to know if, if that's going into my my it's that's baked into my asking price. That's baked into my offer. I could want that. I could not want that. I mean, it all it all kind of depends. I personally would want it. I, I want Juan Soto. I think just think it's easier if you've got a Juan Soto, you sort of figure the rest out as you go. But 
any new ownership group, and that's going to maybe change who who wants to win the bidding. If it's if it's a cutthroat business person who does it, they'll go, no, that doesn't make sense. That's a necessarily depreciating asset. I don't want to be left holding the bag at the end. If somebody goes, oh, yeah, I love baseball. I love that guy. I want him. I don't know how that's going to go. But to me, a resolution, one way or the other, even if it's not a signing on the dotted line, even if it's not an official commitment one way or the other, I would absolutely 100% have to know before I hand over my paperwork that's got every dollar and cent that I've got and every every holding and everything that I'm going to have to liquidate to hand over to the learners to buy this team, I need to know what the plan is for that guy. I don't need to know the plan for Patrick Corbin or Josh Bell. I don't need to know the plan for, for Kiba Ruiz or anybody else. This dude that stopped the sporting world because he's not going to sign a contract with the Nationals and the eyes of sports were on him for these last couple of days. I need to know that guy's future, one way or the other. And I think that's I've always sort of felt that there's a fire lit here and there's some urgency, and we might see something happen in these next couple of weeks. And uh, you have to look at the perspective of Juan Soto himself. Sure, you know, eventually and within the next couple of years, he's going to sign some huge, humongous contract and make a ton of money. So I don't know how bad you can feel for him, but just seeing him at the podium these last couple of days and having to answer these questions, having to answer the question right after winning the home run derby of what's your future going to be like, you just have to feel bad for the kid. Again, remember he's 23 years old and he's out here answering questions about why he turned down $440 million. It, you just have to feel bad for the kid. You know he's good. He's always got a smile on his face. Uh, you know That's what made Nationals fans fall in love with him was the, the joy that he brings to the game of baseball. And to see him have to go through this and, and, and have kind of that, that you, you see a little bit of pain in his face when he's answering these questions from me, the media. It, it, it just sucks seeing this for him. And, and, and I know some fans will bristle at that, Darius. I, I, I hear you, and I'm— I certainly do empathize. I mean, again, I, I think of this, the, the question I've asked about this just generally. I want you guys to imagine this, if you're kind enough to listen to this podcast. Imagine you've got to go to another country where you don't speak the language. Imagine within 18 months, you've you've delved so hard into your lessons to learn that native language that you can then conduct radio interviews. When you first got to that country, you pointed to menu items. And now you're able to, to speak eloquently and powerfully and convey emotion and thought all while still being 23 years old. You know how much of a jackass I was when I was 23 years old? <laughs> I never would have been able to do any of this stuff. He's he's superhuman in that way. That magnetic personality just wins people over. That and the incredible ability, competitiveness, and the like. So, yes, I, he's going to make more money than than everybody listening put together for the rest of his life. And, and it's hard to feel empathy for someone that gets to play a kid's game for half a billion dollars at some point. But I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. He's in a tough spot. And... It's you know sort of the inevitable corollary, I think, of, of of being that good, having that much pressure on you, being that much of a focal point. It's you know it's something that I don't you know I, I think about my sons. I, I know my my uh, eight year old when he's twenty three will not be making that kind of a decision, you know. And and if he has to make a tough choice, I'll try to be there for him. And even if it doesn't mean everyone should stop and shed a tear, you know, for for the guy. But I know exactly what you're saying. I, I empathize with that you know that look on his face. I didn't like seeing that. No, you know what I mean. It's like, it's like that's like that's my baby boy. Why? <laughs> exactly. Who's making my baby boy mad? You know, I just I I couldn't help but feel that way. Uh, let's go to question two. If it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, and by the way, I just say it like it's a casual thing, like we're, like we're ordering Shake Shack. We we've accepted it at this point. We're just saying it. Something's happening. I'm talking about a trade of Juan Soto. <laughs> I mean, oh my god. Okay, 
if it doesn't happen these next couple of weeks, which, by the way, I think there's a great chance. I mean, it, it's really hard to thread the needle here. You need a, the perfect storm to happen. I don't know that it does. The Nationals rightfully here should have a very high asking price. No faults here if it doesn't happen the next couple of weeks. We do. Do we feel that it's it, if it doesn't happen here before August second, that it will happen this winter, at some point, right? Once the sort of the business of next year gets going, it it's it's tough to say, especially because of how difficult things are going to get for him uh, if he is stuck on this team for the remainder of the season. He's not going to have any protection around him with Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz being gone. Not that Nelson Cruz has been helping at all, uh, but. It's it's going to get tough for him, especially coming off of the All Star break. Being it basically went into the All Star break being one of the hottest players in baseball. I, the the statistics are going to make it tough on him for the remainder of the season. And I, 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 I my hope is that throughout this remainder of the season, there's at least one more offer, and that's something that I believe Hector Gomez or one of these other ESPN reporters has reported that the Nats aren't officially done yet. They, there still is potential for another offer out there. And that's the hope. I'm pretty sure a lot of fans are going to hope that there's at least one more offer within them uh, before the end of the season. But you, You've been, that's a good point by you. Yeah. That's something that you've you've hit both times we've discussed this. And I've dismissed that, and I think incorrectly. I think you're right, and I think a lot of fans are too. So I want to acknowledge that. My question, and I ask this you know, uh, rhetorically to you guys listening, and I'll ask you this. What is your walkaway point? Darius Lerner. Right, you're you're put in charge. This because this is now ownership level, right? Of Mike Rizzo will go, whatever the whatever the offer is, we'll sign it because he's a great player. If you're Darius Lerner and you're all of a sudden you know part of the family and you're negotiating this, what's your point where you say, you know what, we we probably can't do that much? I don't think I can get into the forty per mil or forty per year range, the forty mil per year range. I don't think that's where I can get. Uh, so that would probably be my walkaway point. I think we can creep into the into the low to mid thirties million per year. I don't know if 40 mil per year is where I can is where I can get to at this point. So that would be my walk away point. What about you? I thought about this. Cuz you have to also yeah. t- take into a it doesn't have to be 15 years. I know 15 uh, years is, is a, is a benchmark. Because they want to spread it out and again they right. backloaded it. again that was according to an, an initial Heyman report. Um Strasburg's going to make 35 per year for the next several years. I yeah. mean many many years. Don't know how that's going to affect things. So I can't have something below that if I'm Soto's camp. That's I, what I, I would think, right. So, And they did. They offered that. They offered 29, which is below the 35. It's below the last year what Patrick Corbin is going to make. With all due respect to those guys, that's Juan Soto. He's more valuable <laughs> than those guys, especially right now this minute. Plays every day. So I, st- I don't know that even I could do 40 for that long, right? Because if you do, if you go, let's say, 13 years times 40 mil, that's $520 million. <sighs> And number. we got a sense, remember, Britt Giroli told us that even this offer, which had come up $90 million from the alleged first offer, which is three fifty, so now you're at four forty. Okay, I'm just talking total value. Forget AAV for a second. Total sure. value. That was still about $100 million off. So let's say five forty divided by what? 15? Okay, that's 36 a year. 540 divided by, call it 13, that's 41 a year. So if you split the difference... Of five forty divided by fourteen. I'm doing this calculator math right now. I'm sure it's riveting to you guys. That's thirty eight and a half a year, and that puts you right up towards the top. But that's still five million short of what Max Scherzer was getting AAV. And and Boris and company will tell you why would you be short of that in terms of annual average value? This guy should be paid like he's the best because he is. 
And I go, he, maybe he should be, but we can't do that. I, I think 40 may be my walkaway point. Yeah. That may be my walkaway point, regardless of, of of the length of the deal. And now, if he'll accept deferred money, my usually you know the usual learner playbook, maybe you could do that. <laughs> hopes that a TV deal works itself out at some point. But I know some of you guys are probably hearing this and going, "What the hell do you mean you're walking away? Are you crazy?" I'm just telling you. You look at payrolls, you look at teams like the Angels who are doing this, and at, with with Trout, and they've got Rendon, who's got the same offer basically as Steven Strasburg. They can't get out of their way. It's really hard for regular teams. I, I, I want to stress this. There are, there are teams that have different rules. And all the sports, every sport, even hard, hard, hard cap sports like the NHL and like the NFL, there are teams that are so cash rich, see the Los Angeles Rams, that they look at your cap and they go, nah, 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 nah. The rest of the league is like subject to rules, and they have to be able to keep a certain amount of, of money in escrow and any, any contract they sign. They have to have the cash offset, all these different things. It doesn't affect the Rams. It affects everybody else, right? If you look at baseball, where there isn't a hard cap, it's this soft cap, and you pay a penalty, the Red Sox laugh at your penalty. They get enough from, from New England sports, the Nesson thing, with a bunch of homers going, the Sox, Kyle Yastrzemski, no math. Jason Veritek, bro. They get enough money from those guys to be able to pay whoever they want, whatever they want. They, they say wicked a lot? Yeah, wicked. they do. Now, they don't have to. They, they stupidly let Mookie Betts go for some dumb reason. They might let Raphael Devers go, by the way. Welcome to Washington. Please come on down and hit 320 with 40 bombs at playing great third base for us. That would make that would soften the blow. I'm just That'd offering some advice to anybody that wants to listen to it. Too. Anyway, <laughs> the point is the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets, these teams don't have budgets. They don't. Now, they, they can be frugal if they want to be, as the Dodgers were for a little while. People have pointed that out correctly. But now they're going, okay, Clayton Kershaw's getting older. We got a window. Let's go. Whoever we want, whenever we want it. The rest of the of the baseball world, the extreme end of this is what the Rays do, is what the Oakland A's do. The, you know, the, Maybe the Royals are down there at the bottom, some of the low-revenue teams that have to kind of figure it out with, with guts and intellect and calculators and, and the like. But for everybody else... There's a money in, money out. For everybody else, there is a budget. There's a limit. And I know we always want to say, the learners are billionaires. That's absolutely true. Okay? And I know they've, they've lost some billions in, in their personal holdings and value over the last couple of years. I don't care about that. They'll be just fine. I ask you guys this. If you had two businesses, right? We're just talking about regular people. Regular people, regular businesses. If you had a bagel shop and a dry cleaner, and your dry cleaner was struggling, your dry cleaner wasn't making ends meet, but you, you believed in it. It's in a good location. You think it can do it, and you're struggling a little bit to, 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 to retain the best talent and do a good job with dry cleaning. Would you take money out of your retirement account? Would you liquefy your 401k? Would you sell your personal holdings if you got a couple bits of Apple stock that are paying dividends, those sweet, sweet dividends every quarter? By the way, love you, Apple. Would you liquefy those and inject it into the dry cleaning business? Of course you wouldn't, right? That's the same scale here. I know the learners are billionaires, but if you start tapping that vein, that coffer that they have, where you take asset after asset, you got to sell a building to pay for, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, a middling reliever. You've got to now, you know, fire a bunch of employees from uh, from a different business to make sure that you can, you know, give Juan Soto a signing bonus. I'm just telling you, that's not realistic. And again, nobody should cry poverty for them. They're fine when they sell this team; they'll have a couple billion dollars more than they did before. I'm just saying, business wise. You need a TV deal, you need gate revenue, you need to sell merch, and you need people to give a damn. And right now, none of those things are happening. So 
I understand. I get how we got here. Pandemic sucked. Peter Angelos is a douche. And Major League Baseball made a terrible deal. So they are owed hundreds, you know, dozens, tens of millions of dollars in back money from TV stuff. They don't have it. Their hands are tied. I think that's why they're selling the team. Yes, Darius. You brought up Mike Trout. I think uh, Mike Trout is interesting. Do, do you think that Mike Trout has set the example for what the Nats don't want to get involved in? Because you look at Mike Trout's career so far. Since he signed that contract, he has not once touched the playoffs. That team has barely been competitive over uh, over his years being in, in L.A. He's there until 2030, making $35 million a year at this point, $36 million a year it looks like. Don't the Nats want to avoid that? I think that's the, the idea. Yeah, you don't want to have this superstar who's making $35, $40 million a year. And to finish night. in fourth place. Yeah, and, and it's not Trout's fault. Exactly, right. The same way it's not Soto's fault that they're 31 and 63 at the All-Star break. It ain't Soto's fault they're 2 and 14 in July. No. The guy's been unbelievable <laughs> in July. So I don't know. And I know it sounds like I'm advocating trading the guy or, or getting rid of him. I, I just, I'm, I'm sort of at a point where I, I, my anger and my frustration at letting all these guys go over the years, I, I've kind of already given that. I've accepted that. And I'm looking at this one specific case, and I think, I, I, I well, I, I know, I know, I'm not that much fun to be around. Okay, <laughs> I understand, I'm, I'm pretty annoying, but this is one of those times where I hearken back to something I said before. Oh, that's annoying, man! Is that arrogant? That's so condescending. I apologize to everybody for listening to this, but bear with me, okay? Isn't that a, to quote me? That's what I'm doing right now. God, that's annoying. But here's it. Here's what it is, Dares. When you didn't pay Rendon. When you didn't pay Harper, when you didn't win the bidding for Harper, when you didn't win the bidding for Rendon, when you didn't really keep going down the Trey Turner route because there was always somebody else, I always said, you're not, you don't know if there's going to be somebody else. Each time it was easy to say, it's like, well, it doesn't matter with Harper because they've got, you know, Juan Soto's waiting in the wings and Adam Eaton can play right field every day. When you lose Trey Turner, well, uh, okay, Juan Soto and maybe Luis Garcia. There's nobody after this. There's nobody waiting to be next. Yeah. And the idea that someone will just manifest themselves, someone will just appear, that was foolish thinking. That's the old bird in the hand, two in the bush. And they went for the bush every single time. And now they're going to end up with nothing when it comes to superstar stuff. All right, so we didn't really cover the winner. Sort of that's the – I think we both generally think, not to put words in your mouth, that if something doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks – it will end up happening this winter. That's maybe the most likely situation. Yes or no? Yes. It's not. It's not. It's not. Well, as far as something happening, I hope what happens is a contract extension. Right. But I think yes. Is at the end of the day, because your contract point got to start on that on that side. Correct, I just right. mean in terms of a trade. In terms of a trade, yes, I do think something does have to happen by the winter. I don't think they can let this go into next spring. So, topic three. Before we jump out of here and let Barry Faluga take us home. Big picture for Nats fans. Big picture for the organization. We talked about this without even knowing about the Soto stuff over the last couple weeks on this podcast. It was, don't look now, but this July is a massive month for the Washington Nationals. Ownership, we didn't consider Soto, but trade deadline, draft, development, futures game. This is a nice, let's take inventory here, 30,000 foot view. And right now it's kind of bleak, you guys. And then you add in that Soto element to it. What are fans going to be like? I, I mean, this organization, and you pointed this out very astutely, I think, this past episode, Darius. This is this is all still pretty new to us. 
right? For those of us like me that are, you know, lunatic baseball fans, I basically had to put my life in my hands and drive up to Baltimore during rush hour and park in a neighborhood and, and you know, pray that the 87 Toyota Corolla station wagon was still going to be there when we got back and then it would still have hubcaps. We went up to Baltimore. They didn't want us up there, but that's what we did because I just was obsessed with baseball. We got our own team here. Fans here. Kids haven't grown up to be adults yet, so they could take their kids. We don't have what some of these baseball-rich marketplaces like St. Louis, where great grandfathers took grandfathers who took fathers who took sons, and you know gets passed down. And Boston and Philadelphia, New York, and even LA now. Honestly, Chicago. You don't have those institutional memories. We had our weird opening phase where you have the hardcore folks that are just, yep, I'm into it. Let's go to RFK and watch Vinny Castilla go one for six. I want to see Lastings Millage and Jose Vidro and John Patterson, please and thank you. And I want an extra side of John Landon throwing 84 mile an hour sinkers. More Matt Chico, please. I'll go all day. Tim Reddick. The point is, O'Dallas Perez opening day started. Rest in peace. We did that. You started to win fans when you started to get really good. It became the cool thing to do in town. Same way with the Capitals when they kind of rebooted to rock the red. It became cool. It became something you saw young people at. Young, attractive people, right? Not wearing that much because it's summertime. It was nice. Right? Little t-shirt, little tank top. Look at you. You're cute. That goes for everybody. I believe they say sun's out, guns out. They do there. say that, Darius. Yes. Thank you very much. Handsome people, attractive, low body fat folks. Awesome. Became a thing to be. A place to be, right? Well, this is your first one of these. This is your first, oh my God, it's so bad, since they got good. This was inevitable. Maybe not this to this degree, but a World Series team that was you know, average age of 34 or something like that, non-Juan Soto division, yeah, Zim was going to retire. Max was going to leave. Strasburg was going to break down. Howie Kendrick was going to go. Adam Eaton wasn't going to be the same player. You, you can't keep throwing uh, Kurt Suzuki out there in his mid-30s. Jan Gomes is no longer here. That's a reference for those that know that know. You weren't going to be that same group in a couple years as you, you got your teeth kicked in during the pandemic. And then 2021, it was awful. The majority of that core were awful in 2021. You have a fire sale. This was always going to happen. Maybe not to this degree. We haven't dealt with this kind of a valley before. And I wonder how the fan, is, fan base is going to react. I think at some point, tangible progress has to be made at the major league level. For, to be able to say, look, fan of this team, there's something to look forward to. You could see that in 2011 when that group finished 80 and 81. They got rained out so they didn't get a chance to be fully 500. But you could see the makings of something. I didn't know they'd win 98 games the following year. But you could see that this... Zim, Geo, Detweiler, uh, Jordan Zimmerman, um, you know, Drew Storen on the on on the on, on the come, and and, and Steven Strasburg coming back from injury. You could, and Jason Worth hopefully being healthy. You could see something developing there in 2012 or, or in 2011 for that 2012 season. Sure enough, that's when they really started this run. You need something like that. You need a 2011 within the next couple of years. Yeah, the a, a glimpse of the future needs to be more immediate. We need to see guys like Cade Cavalli come up and show us, okay, cool, he is going to be somebody that I want to want to come to the ballpark and see every fifth day pitch. Uh, you know, we have to – I don't know if there's anybody offensively that can provide that except for what we have right now in Luis Garcia and Juan Soto. So that's that's the struggle that I'm trying to figure out is 
Where is the next? Where's that next group of people coming from offensively? And it sounds like it's going to come from yeah, either yeah, A-ball. they're a ball right now, and that, <laughs> right. which means they're years away. Right. Um, Barry Saluga joined the Grant and Danny program from Los Angeles. He was there, an audience member, basically. You know, not even audience, but assembled media, asking questions of Juan Soto and, and seeing the entire spectacle play out. He was fantastic. Wrote a great column in the Washington Post. In fact, has written a couple this week about Soto being the center of the sports universe. He joined Grant and Danny on Tuesday and was fantastic. Give it a listen. Here's Barry Sfuluga with the Washington Post. Long gone! Let's not keep our guests waiting. Washington Post columnist, one of our favorites, Barry Sfuluga from L.A. Barry, good afternoon, man. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me, Danny. Appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, it's, you know, as usual, you wrote a great piece, very thoughtful, uh, about this swirling Juan Soto situation. I spent the first hour doing this, and I want your opinion on it. I couldn't help but think of the following last night, and really all day yesterday as, as we're sort of reacting to the news. It seems like Juan Soto got put in an awkward spot, and, and that may have been avoidable. I, I kind of couldn't escape that, and of course he rose above it. Of course he handled everything with grace and class, you know, befitting someone that's way older, and, and you know he's wise beyond his years. He did better than I certainly would have done in that spot. Just really, really impressive what he overcame, but... It feels like we didn't have to be in that spot exactly. I would love your thoughts on that. Well, I don't think you're wrong on the timing, um, but I do think that, and you know, Ken Rosenthal broke the story on Saturday that that Soto had turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer from the Nats. And and from the Nationals' perspective, um, and all respect to Kenny for for doing that, he's he's one of the great newsbreakers in the sport of baseball. Um, if they're at all going to explore a trade and that exploring a trade does not mean executing a trade. Um, but if they're going to explore it, they have to let people know that he turned down a historic offer. There, there's no way to have trade rumors pop up um, and not be able to counter that with like, well, the reason that we're doing this is because we offered him a sum that is more than any player in history has ever agreed to um, and he turned it down, and so he backed us into a corner. We can argue about average annual value. We can argue about having three postseasons um, to play for a potentially new team and what that might mean in, in the return you get, but th- they had to have that message out there. Now, if you get to the timing, um, perhaps that wasn't thought through as much because um, the Nationals certainly went from an afterthought at this event at this point last week to the complete center of the baseball universe, not just because they're precocious 23 year old, you know, generational hitter um, won the home run derby and, and is, uh, you know, being forced to talk about um, his position with the organization, what he sees for his future. Um, But the club as a whole, like where are they? They have the worst best record in baseball and what do they need to do to revamp? So um, it was kind of a zero to one twenty situation over the weekend, where it was like, okay, the Nats have one All Star and they're a terrible team, and they have to rebuild. To like, holy cow, they have a generational hitter who they might be trying to unload, and he's going to be on that stage as the biggest story. That that part of the timing part, maybe maybe that's what feels unnecessary. So, Barry, I want your thoughts on this as well. I think if this was just this case, right, the, the, the kind of counterexample I used was the Yankees. They might lose Aaron Judge this year. And, of course, some Yankee fans will be ticked off about that. 
not sort of speaking to the irrational ones, but you know as a Yankee fan, you'll be fine. You'll buy somebody else or another prospect will come up and the Yankees will win a bunch of games. The context here with this organization with the Nationals is it was Harper, then it was Rendon, and then it was Turner, and now it's going to be Soto. Each one was saved on to pay the next, and then if you end up with none of them, that's a tough pill to swallow. This one individually, it's not crazy to not want to pay a guy $500 million, whatever the heck it's going to take. But because of the context, that's why people are upset. And, and I'm having a tough time wrestling with that, Danny, to be honest with you, is in that, you know, if you know the in-the-weed stuff on, on each one of those guys that you mentioned, on, on Bryce and on Rendon and, and on Trey and even on, on Scherzer, um, you understand the individual circumstances. I think it's a little bit harder to understand on Turner um, because he did have a year and a half rather than just half a year left when they dealt him. But the reality is you don't get both Kavit Ruiz and Josiah Gray back in return unless you give up both those guys last year. Um, but you're completely right about the totality of it, that from 30,000 feet, it, this suddenly feels like you're the Oakland A's and you can't afford to keep any any of your homegrown guys. And at, at some point, you run out of homegrown guys. And, and I'm sure you guys have talked about and I've certainly written about, um, you know, the fact that their last several drafts have, have not um, been super fruitful so far. Um, that has to change. They have to develop. I mean, that's part of whether they keep Juan Soto or not, you have to develop controllable, cheap assets around him to have a roster that fits together both on the field and, and financially. So um, is it as simple as, oh, the learners are cheap, they can't keep their homegrown stars. It's, it's not that simple because, you know, unfortunately, the one that they paid for is the one who can't pitch, and that's $245 million over seven years to Steven Strasburg. That, that counts as something because it's real money and a real commitment. It happens to, at this point, have been a disastrous use of real money and, and real commitment, um, but they did do it. So it's, it's, to me, it's complicated and confusing because – while you understand the individual circumstances, the totality of it makes it look like they just can't keep their own people. Barry Faluga with us here from the Washington Post. Uh, Barry, what was the scene like yesterday with Soto answering those questions, with Boris just kind of you know, lurking just past an arm's length away? It just seems surreal to me. Uh, we were watching in real time here as I was trying to, you know, one, one eye on the microphone doing the show and the other eye just sort of riveted at that press conference. I'd love for you to paint a picture for us. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were more people around Soto at the start of the availability, which, and just for the scene, it's like every single all-star, every single National League all-star is at a separate table, um, you know, in the outfield concourse at Dodger Stadium. And, you know, you can kind of drift around and cherry pick who you want to talk to. Well, a lot of people wanted to talk to Juan Soto to start the thing. Um, not, you know, other other players don't have their agents at, arm's length and that was by design for scott um juan had clearly been given talking points um i'm a national this is out of my hands and that's fine and you know he both stayed within the parameters of the talking points but offered some honest assessments of that this is a difficult situation and that you know this is the only organization i've ever played for and i'm a nat until i'm not a nat and um you know, also, I mean, ask directly about is there something appealing about free agency in which 30 teams could bid on you rather than one? 
He was very frank about that. Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't I want that? We all want to see what the market would bear. So he's impressive at the plate. He's impressive behind a mic. He's, you have to remember, he's 23 and four or five years ago didn't speak English and now just rolls with questions in two different languages about delicate issues regarding his future and, and frankly, the overall economics of the sport. Um, he did it really adeptly yesterday. Um, I would expect him to do that going forward. Um, it's part of the the complete package that um, that makes him so desirable. Barry, the ownership angle on, on all this, I, I've sort of thought, and you know, I, it looks like I'm well, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I've seen a couple of reports now say that, that a, a trade in the, you know before this August deadline is unlikely. But I always felt like this was an accelerant. This was kerosene on the fire here, wanting a resolution in one way or the other, whether a new ownership group is going to know they've got Juan Soto or they know they've got a haul in place of Juan Soto. I, I always sort of felt that had to happen sooner rather than later, and they want a resolution. And maybe that's kind of why this all came on very quickly. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, you know, since the ownership announcement or the, the pursuit of new ownership announcement came in April, that was a, a question I wasn't sure about the answer to. Is, is the franchise more valuable with Juan Soto locked up for the future, or is it more valuable to a potential buyer if there's a lot of financial freedom and you can really just start from scratch? And, and the answer seems to be it depends on who you ask. Um, some people might be like, Oh, thank goodness you got this generational player locked up and, and I'm happy with the price. If that's $29.3 million a year, which is what the learners have offered, or if it's $40 million a year or north of that, which is clearly what Boris and, and Soto are, are looking for. Um, it really depends on who's looking at it, what they think of their future payrolls will be, how it's explained to them that they could build a roster around that contract. Um, and that's why I think, Danny, the whole thing is is um, kind of shrouded by a layer of uncertainty that isn't just about the Washington Nationals and the learners in July of 2022. It, it's why you you could get to a situation where um, if they are not blown away by a prospect package over the next couple weeks, um, you could say, well, this was the learners' best and final offer. But that doesn't mean it's the best and final offer of owner TBD. And, and it, you know, would that be uneasy and, and kind of unsettling for Juan Soto over the offseason, you know, not really knowing what his future would be? Sure, it could be. But he was also kind of frank and interesting in saying, and curious, really, in saying yesterday that, you know, we don't know who the new owner is going to be, and it would be cool to sit down with that person, whoever it is, and and have them articulate what their vision is for the future and how they're going to commit to winning and and, and getting a Soto-like character, the pieces around him that he would need to, to win another World Series. Like, that's not off the table. I, I just think – I honestly think, Danny, that any report today that says he's absolutely not going to be traded or he's absolutely going to be traded – is is not accurate. Mm. Um, this is fluid, uh, and it has to be fluid because if if there's a package that Mike Rizzo could face his ownership, face his new ownership, and face the public and say, this was a baseball to rebuilt our baseball operation. Um, 
I think he'd have to pull the trigger and ownership would have to pull the trigger. Barry, what about the Boris element and all this? I, I always argue, I mean, it's fans basically think this guy's, you know, a, a, a Bond villain, like a mastermind behind the scene pulling the strings. And I think of it in a reverse way. If you employ Scott Boris, you're looking for certain things. He's the going to be the guy that is working for you to the ends that you guys, you know, sort of decide on together. And if you allow him to do it, he'll do this playbook, which usually involves guys going to free agency. But I'd love for you to speak to the to sort of the Boris role and all of this and how that either complicates or, you know, kind of moves the conversation along. Well, I mean, it's you don't hire Scott Boris to to get an extension done with your existing club. I mean, you can do that. Steven Strasburg did it. And and Boris, everybody has to remember that while this always seems that the player works for Scott Boris. It's the absolute opposite of that, that Scott Boris works for. So if Juan Soto said, look, I want comfort and security like Ryan Zimmerman had comfort and security with the only franchise he ever played for, and I see value in that, then it's Scott Boris's duty to execute a deal to the best of his ability with, with, the, with the franchise. But I, I also think there are players, and, and you know, Max Scherzer – came to Washington, D.C. because he wanted to test free agency. He wanted to know what it felt like to have 30 teams bid on him and not just one. Um, He turned down a huge offer from the Detroit Tigers in in spring training of 2014, and in that offseason he became a Washington National. Um, He didn't do that out of loyalty. He did that out of of, um, himself, his family, and his position in the game. Um, there are characters who want to do that. Bryce Harper wanted to do that. Um, Juan Soto may be one of those characters. And if you do, if you are one of those characters, there's not a better agent to employ than, than Scott Boris, because he's going to get you the money. Barry Fluga with us here. Washington Post wrote a great piece about Juan Soto. Also did a great chat with Chelsea Janes uh, that I've been pouring through as well here uh, this morning, and this afternoon. Um, what do you think is going to happen here over the next couple of weeks? Teams are probably going to get try to get their ducks in a row and make offers, and I'm sure that's going to influence a lot whether this gets done now, offseason, never, et cetera. But what are the next couple of weeks going to look like here before the trade deadline, Barry? Pin a picture. Well, it'll be really interesting to see um, you know, what we hear about what offers might be out there and, and, and how many players and what the talent level of those players would be. Um, you know, that they would get in return. I, I, there's part of me that thinks that the idea of giving up two years and two months of Juan Soto would set a price so high in the minds of the Nationals that it's almost unreachable. And, and in some ways that's understandable because you, you, you'd have to be able to justify it to your fan base that, look, here is our new and pick positions here. Here's our center fielder for the next six years. Here's our second baseman for the next six years. Here's our number two starter for the next six years. You'd you'd be pinning so many hopes on all of those characters that it almost becomes hard to justify and, and not to, you know, dismiss the idea that um, there's emotions involved here, Mm -hmm. here too. I mean, this guy's a, a homegrown postseason hero who is the last attachment to your most recent glory days and uh, perhaps an extension to the next glory days, that's hard to quit on. Um, so, uh, you know, can I predict exactly how the next couple of weeks will go? No, I can't. Um, I do think there will be 
serious discussions with several clubs. And, and it's not going to be 29 teams. There are not 29 teams that are in position either in the standings financially or with the prospect capital to be involved here. So say there's at most between six and 10, what are those discussions like? What are they really offering? Who are the players involved? I don't know how much we'll know about all of that um, as it happens, but your, your ear has to be to the ground every single day because this is, in some ways, it's just getting started, um, which is a crazy thing to think about because it's, it's yeah. kind of swallowed us whole over the last couple of days. Yeah, Barry, last one here before I let you jump to enjoy All-Star festivities. Um, and this is really tough to paint with a broad brush, but how do you think fans here, this is still such a relatively new fan base, so I always kind of forget that, as you correctly mentioned here, it's, you know we're not even 20 years old yet, we haven't really gone through that many ups and downs and rebuilds and restarts, and we're not used to the rhythms of looking at double-A box scores to find out who's going to be here in a couple of seasons. We're kind of going through that now after some really, really great success over about a decade. How do you think the fan base will react if Juan Soto is traded? Well, I, I think for a lot of fans, it would be to your earlier point about why can't it, it does fairly or fair, unfairly, it fits into the tableau of Bryce and Rendon and, and Turner questions about why, why are those guys not around? You just kind of tack that on. For some people, it'd be emotionally hard to get back, uh, you know, to, to fight off those feelings. I think there would be other people who would say, look, this is part of the process, a necessary and painful part of the process if we want to rebuild. And we just, instead of addressing who our right fielder is going to be going forward, we addressed who, say, five positions are going to be going mm-hmm. forward. So I think you're going to, you'd have a varied response. Um, but I also think, you know, there would be such an eye and such pressure on whoever those prospects are, whoever that package is, to kind of add up to be – more than what Juan Soto was, um, that that the discussion wouldn't end the day the trade was made. It would have to extend years into the future. Um, this this situation suddenly kind of hangs over the entire franchise, um, just as the ownership situation does. And I just don't see a kind of bow on it anytime soon. Very terrific with us, as always. Great column, great work. Enjoy tonight, man. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. Dang, Zoom. That was Barry Sfalugo of the Washington Post. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. Uh, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. In fact, if you follow me at Funny Danny, I've got a little link now that Odyssey's been kind enough to provide us. One of these one-stop shops where wherever you get your podcast. Seriously, there are things, frankly, I've never even heard of. They've got it right there. The handy link, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Pods, all of the cool places, man. That's where we are now. We're very hip. We're very with it. We're young people, man. Just get on board. Appreciate you guys listening to Bust and Lose Baseball. Uh, we'll be back at it next week, fully armed and operational like the Death Star. Grant Paulson will be back from his travels in Los Angeles. We will delve into what the team did in the draft and have a bunch more uh, updates, presumably, about the latest going on with Juan Soto. For Darius Dameron, I'm Danny Ruye. GP will be back at it next week. Appreciate you guys checking out the show and listening. Keep spreading the word. Follow us. Rate, review, subscribe. We'll have all sorts of fun stuff for you guys next week. Hopefully it's a little more calm. A little calmer. Not like Calma. That was a World Series-themed thing where Brian Dozier danced with his shirt off for some reason. We want calmer here on Bust and Lose Baseball. Until then, go Nets.